good singing this morning. You think the, call them the Benjamites? <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. Well, welcome back to our study on, in the book of John, the gospel according to John. We've been really getting into some really great stuff. We've just finished the, the prologue in which we've seen from what the Apostle John has laid out. We've seen the eternality of Jesus Christ, His deity, the, the Word was God, the Word was with God. We've seen how Jesus is the creator of all things. All things came into being through Him. We've also seen how He's the, the life of the world. He gives life. All life comes from Jesus Christ. And how He is the light of the world. He illuminates the darkness. We saw last week that He's the Word that became flesh, the incarnate deity, the God-man, fully God and fully man. We saw how He veiled His glory. And John beheld that glory. We've seen how no one can know God apart from knowing Jesus Christ. So John has is, is laid out this prologue and he wants you to believe. John has written this gospel so that you would believe in Jesus Christ and have life in his name. And now as we transition, we're transitioning to the first week, first week of Jesus' public ministry. And John begins, John the Apostle begins this first week with one last testimonial. And in this testimonial, he gives the testimony of John the Baptist. And the purpose of this is to, to point to Jesus Christ and to also show that there's no animosity, there's no com competition between the two. Now, I read a story recently as uh, I was looking at um, just Christmas biscuits and Christmas cookies, and I ran across a story about uh, Oreo. Now, I've seen Oreo biscuits, Oreo cookies here in, in Oz, and I found out they're their most popular cookie in the whole world. But it, the Oreo cookie brand, the cookie itself, began by the animosity of two different, uh, two brothers of the same family, a sibling rivalry. One brother created a cookie called the Hilux, which was the original cookie. It looked just like the Oreo, and it did very well. Well, the brother in a, who, who owned a different bakery copied him and called it the Oreo. And, and basically, the, this, along with some other things, caused great animosity between the two brothers for many, many years. Now, eventually, after their death, uh, Nabisco, the national biscuit company in the U.S., repackaged Oreo and uh, started a marketing campaign, and, and now you can't find Hilux anywhere, and Oreo is considered the cookie. In fact, it's the most popular cookie in the whole world. But it all began out of animosity between two brothers. Well, John wants to show you here, as we're going to get into verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 19 to 37 this morning, he wants you to see that there's no animosity. That John considers himself merely a voice. He's not worthy of Jesus. And so he, John does this because we can trust the Word. We can trust the testimony of John the Baptist concerning Jesus and know that, that John 
promotes and pushes Jesus forward as the one we should worship, as the one we should adore, as the one we should follow. And so we're going to begin this morning, we're going to be looking at the first week of Jesus. And now we're going to see John the Baptist and his testimony towards Jesus. We're going to see that he is a voice, but he's a voice crying to the Sanhedrin. He's a voice crying to the crowd, and he's a voice crying to his disciples in, the, in verses 19 through 37. So let's go ahead and look at the text, and then we shall dig in. Verse 19 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. And this is the testimony of John. When Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they said to him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you, so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him and said, Why are you baptizing, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. On the next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who is a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifest to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. And again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus and he walked, as he walked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So first of all, I want you to see in verses 19 through 28, I want you to see a voice crying out to the Sanhedrin. For John has just received a group of Levites and a group of priests from Jerusalem. And now when you think about John, John, the man, he, we, we know of his miraculous birth. right? How it was an old man and an old woman named Zacharias and Elizabeth. In Luke 1, they, they were of the Levitical line and they were old and they, they wanted a child and they couldn't have a child, but the angel came to them. And in her old age, Elizabeth had a child, and she named him John. And it says in Luke as well that as John grew, he lived in the Judean wilderness until his call to preach. And then we have even Jesus' words in Luke chapter 7 says, There is no greater man that has ever lived than John the Baptist. And by the way, he's the first prophet 
Israel had seen in 400 years. So Israel, this was a special, special moment. This was an, an important moment, having John the Baptist preaching, John the Baptist proclaiming as a prophet, as the first prophet since Malachi. It's been 400 years. And he preached a message of repentance. He preached a message calling for confession of sin, of repentance. You see this in Luke 3. He, he preached the gospel pointing towards Jesus Christ. And he called for people to, to confess their sins. For the kingdom of God was at hand. And this is important because the, the Jews believed that they were okay. They were descendants of Abraham by covenant, by nature of their, their lineage. That they were okay with the Lord and that by the nature of their lineage and their faithfulness to, to do the Old Testament sacrifices, they believed they were righteous and they, they were okay with God. But John's calling them to, to no, no, to understand that they were sinful, to understand they needed to repent of their sins. And the whole purpose of his baptism was a, was a public demonstration of that, of washing away sins. And John's ministry took place along the Jordan River. He didn't, he didn't go about preaching throughout Judea and Samaria and Galilee. He, he did his ministry primarily by the Jordan River. And people, people came to him. Right? In fact, so many people were coming to him. And, and Luke says all of Jerusalem was coming out to him. And the surrounding areas of Judea and all around the Jordan, they were, they were coming to him to hear his message. But what you need to understand about his baptism is that in those days, only Gentiles... Only us, pig-eating Gentiles, would have been baptized because what would have happened is for order for, order for us, in order for us to, to worship at the temple, we would have to, to join the Jews religiously. And so the, we would be baptized, and the baptized would be, uh, baptism would symbolize a, a, a washing away of the, the defilements of the Gentile world, a rejection of a, of a past life of idolatry. And now we're going to, as Gentiles, we're going to worship and fear the one true God as revealed in the Old Testament Scriptures. And so, you could imagine the priest, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body in Jerusalem going, well, what's, what's going on? Why is John, why is this man doing this? Why didn't he come and, and speak to us? We're the religious leaders. Why is he baptizing? Jews... Jews don't get baptized. And so, just realize that John didn't conform his ministry to the, the set religious practices. So, this calls concern and, and, and curiosity among the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin. And they wondered, what was going on? Why was John doing what he was doing? And John's message was clear. Repent. He's preparing the way for the Messiah. By calling people to recognize their sinfulness. If you don't, if you don't know and understand you're a sinner, then, then why do you need a Savior? And that was John's purpose. Now, it's interesting when you think about John the Baptist, there are actually groups of people today that still revere and follow John the Baptist's teaching. They reject Jesus as Messiah, and they, they have John the Baptist as one of their key spiritual leaders. It's a group called the Mandians or the Sabellians. And there's actually 10,000 of them in Australia today. I was reading this the other day. They're, they're primarily located outside of Sydney. And they've come from Iraq because of all the political uh, turmoil there during the Iraq war. 
and one of their key rituals is baptism. And they're actually, over the course of their lives, they can get baptized up to t- over 10,000 times. Because for them, it's a, it's a constant ritual of being cleansed from their sins. It reminds me of Apollos. When Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18 took him aside, he was only acquainted with the baptism of John, and they said, let us tell you the full picture. Well, these people have they've heard the full picture, and they reject it, and they, and they, worship, they worship God in a way that, that's improper and unacceptable because they don't accept Jesus Christ as Lord. They, they, they accept John the Baptist as teaching. And as we would see, and as we will see, this is the last thing that John would have wanted. Right? John's purpose of his ministry, his goal as a prophet, his role was to prepare the way for the Messiah. His goal was to, to point people to Christ. At the beginning of his life, the middle of his life, even the end of his life, he, he pointed people to the, the one true hope, the one true salvation in Jesus Christ. And so you have the testimony of John. And so you could imagine these priests... These Levites, the the Sanhedrin was the ruling body of of 70 elders made up of both Pharisees and Sadducees in the city of Jerusalem, made up of the high priests. And they would come, sorry, they would rule Israel, and they would rule it in a judicial sense, a legislative sense, and even in an executive sense through the high priest. And we see this at the end of Jesus' life, and we'll get into far more detail with that as we get closer to the trials and the crucifixion. But they were empowered by the Romans to, to handle these matters in Israel. Right? And so, as the people were going out to see John and hear his message, they, got to, they had to go check this guy out. What's going on? Why is he, why is he baptizing? What is he doing? What gives him authority to, to, to preach this way and proclaim the things that he's proclaiming? So they come to him and they said, who are you? And obviously that question is implying that he that they think and he thinks he's the Messiah. And so he responds in verse 20 and he says, Look, I am not the Christ. And notice the way verse 20 is written because he confessed and he confessed and he did not deny. He's reiterating it three different ways that I am not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. These are saying this repeatedly and emphatically. I'm not him. I'm absolutely not him. So they said, well, what then? Verse 21, are you Elijah? Now the Jews expected Elijah before the great day of the Lord, before the end times, before Messiah would come. And they, they based this off of Malachi 4.5. Malachi 4.5, behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So the Jews had this right expectation that Elijah would come based off of Malachi. And and so it was natural for them to say, well, if you're not the Messiah, are you Elijah? And what does John say? John, with all his different, with his many many wordy conversations, he says, "Uh, I'm not. Notice he's very pointed. He doesn't want to talk about himself. He says, I'm not. Because John John the Apostle, who's writing this, is focused on his ministry John the Baptist is, is saying, look, don't look at me. I'm, I'm not Elijah. I'm not the Christ. But when it comes to John the Baptist, did he fulfill some of the roles of Elijah? And the answer is yes. In Luke 1, 7, 
1.17, it says that, that he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So he fulfilled aspects of the, the, the prophecies about Elijah, but he wasn't physically Elijah. We, Elijah will return at the end when Jesus Christ on his second coming returns. And so they ask, not only are you, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not Elijah. And then they says, are you the prophet? Now, what's the prophet? Right? You think, okay, where do they get this from? Well, this Jewish tradition said the prophet would come before the Messiah. Right? And, they, and they got this from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 through 19. In Deuteronomy 18, this is Moses. And Moses is saying, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. And this is according to all that, the, all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore or I will die. And the Lord said, they have spoken well. In verse 18, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command them. So the Jews had this tradition that the, the prophet or a prophet would come, and they called him the prophet because he'd be a specific prophet based off of what Moses said, and he would, he would prepare the way and he would be right before the Messiah. And what did John say? John just answered and he said, nope, not me. So you can imagine, they're getting a little frustrated, right? They're saying, well, then verse 22, then, then who are you? Who are you so that, so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And John, who's loath to talk about himself, he replies and he says, I am a voice. I'm a voice. Right, that answered their question really good, right? I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the word, the, the way, excuse me, of the Lord. So he quotes Isaiah chapter 40. And Isaiah chapter 40 is an interesting passage because Isaiah is just full of, of, uh, of prophecy pointing toward Jesus Christ. And Isaiah chapter 40, verses uh, 3 through 5. I'd like to read that, and, and uh, many of you will recognize immediately this passage from Christmas songs that you sing, but I want you to listen. He says, in verse 3, A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low, and let, every, and let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Right, so John quotes this passage, and he says, No, no, I, I'm not Elijah. I am not the prophet, but I'm a voice. I'm a voice calling out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. He's saying, look, I'm nobody. Don't, don't look at me. You need to be looking out for the one who's coming. I'm preparing the way for him. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Remember near my, near my house growing up, there was this heavy equipment uh, training area. 
and we'd pass by it on the way to home, and you see this massive, just massive bulldozers and massive uh, leveling equipment and big, uh, massive, and these are not just the small ones, these massive dump trucks, the ones where you, you stand up, and when you stand near the tires, your, your head is equal to the tire, these massive equipment, and they were training these guys to go out there and these ladies to, to how to use these massive equipment. And one of the things they'd do, they'd go and they would just dump, the massive dump trucks would, would just dump dirt all over the place. And then they'd send out the, the, other, the other pieces of equipment to go and, and to smooth that out. And they're teaching them how to, how to use these equipment to, to create a smooth and level surface. And they would do it over and over, and they, they would do it as a way to, to level that out. And you, it's interesting, if you watch them, they, they, after a while you could see they were really getting good at it. Well, John's purpose was that. Right? He wanted to, 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 he was to go and he was to, to level out the hearts of Israel. I mean, he was helping them to see that they needed a Savior, that they were sinful, that their, their status as Jews and their, their obedience to the sacrifices wasn't going to earn them a place in God's kingdom. And so John goes out and, and, he, and, he, and he's laying that level ground. You see, John was doing his job. He's fulfilling his calling. He's calling the people to confess their sins, to repent, to be baptized. And his job was to prepare the way for the Messiah and to point to the Messiah. Right? He didn't want any glory. He, didn't, he, didn't, he could have said easily to these Jews and said, Well, I'm a prophet. I'm the first prophet of God in 400 years. You need to listen to me. I'm important. Even Jesus said, There's no man greater than me. But he didn't. He continually pointed towards the Savior. So the Jews are like, well, what, what do we say? You know, what, what, do we, what do we say to the Sanhedrin? What do we say to those who sent us? In verse 24, there was a group among those priests and Levites who were of the Pharisees. And they, now the Pharisees, when you think about the Pharisees, we read about them over and over in the Gospels, and it's important to understand who they were. They were a group of religious leaders in Israel. And one thing about them, when you read through the Scriptures, nothing good is ever said about the Pharisees as a group. Now, there are members of the Pharisees, such as Nicodemus, where they're applied good things that they came to Christ. But as a group, there's nothing good said about them. Now, literally, the word Pharisee means to separate Right? They, they separated themselves from the pagan practices, the loose religious practices of the day. And they wanted to adhere to the strict following, the strict teaching of the law, the Old Testament. Now, that sounds really good. Right? They, they wanted to, to, to obey God's law fully. And that was a movement that was noble, and it started out okay. But the problem was they started adding their own interpretations to the law. And they started adding their own oral traditions. And they would teach these interpretations and these traditions as Scripture. And they expected people to obey their traditions. And if you didn't obey your traditions, then you're guilty of breaking God's law. Even though in reality, you were just breaking their traditions. And this is the conflict that, he gets in, that they get into with Jesus over and over. And we'll see this more throughout the Gospel of John. Is that Jesus keeps going back to Scripture and, and confronts them on their legalistic behavior. They surrounded the law with their own traditions. And they were binding. They expected everyone to follow them. And now with the Pharisees, they set up and they controlled the synagogues. Right? And so the Josephus, the great 
Jewish-Roman historian actually says that, that the Pharisees had the high esteem of the common people. So when you think about the Pharisees, just know that the, the common people really respected them because they looked at them as, as trying to obey the law. The, the Sadducees, on the other hand, were just concerned with power. and They were concerned with the temple trappings. They didn't really care much about the people. They were more the aristocratic Jews. And one thing about the Pharisees, by the way, too, is once the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the, the Pharisees mainly were the ones who continued with the teaching of the Torah and teaching of the law through the synagogues that, that they had set up throughout the Roman Empire. And so what we have today, when you, when you talk to Jews today, their, their, their teaching is a direct descendant of the teaching of the Pharisees in that the Jews, when you go into a synagogue, they may read a passage of Scripture, but then they're quickly going to go to the Mishnah and the Talmud, the, the oral and traditional teachings. And they're going to emphasize those teachings as binding. In fact, if you, often when you, when you argue with Jews, and I have, especially secular Jews, they haven't even really read the Old Testament. They read the Talmud and they discuss the, the, the oral traditions and the teachings, but they don't really read the Old Testament. And so this is a byproduct of the Pharisees and their influence after the temple was destroyed. So this is the group that's come to John and, and see what they're doing is they're not asking him who he is now. Look down in verse 25. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Well, they're basically they're questioning John the Baptist's authority. Why are you doing this? Who told you you could do this? You didn't run this by us, and you're not the Messiah, and you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet. Why are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority? Now, it's interesting because this is an extraordinary practice. Remember, Jews don't do this. Jews don't get baptized. Only Gentiles do. And now John could have easily said, well, God gave me the authority. Flip one page, if mine is one page. Verse 33 of chapter 1, I did not recognize him, but, look, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me. John was sent by God with a specific ministry, specific purpose, and was told to baptize. He could have easily said, well, God sent me to do it. But John didn't. What did John say? John said, stop looking at the baptism you need to be focused in on the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 26, he answered them and says, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. Right? So John's ministry was, was pointing to Christ. He says, look, don't look at me. In fact, when you look at the, he stands the one, or the, but among you stands the one. In fact, the, the word there literally is the coming one. Okay? And now the coming one was a title for the Messiah. And you see, he's basically saying that the coming one, the, the, the title itself, the Messiah is among you and you don't know him. He's here. You don't understand him. You don't fully recognize him. See, they were so eager to, to expose John as a, as a false prophet and a false Messiah that they were missing the, the real Messiah that was already there. And John says he's, a, he's incomparably more worthy than me. Right? He, he, uh, he actually says in verse 26, or sorry, verse 27, he says, It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. 
Now, you have to remember that they're walking around on dirt roads, right, gravel roads. And you could imagine, you know, whether it, it, it was rainy or whether it was sunny, you're always wearing sandals and your, your feet would get muddy and dirty and nasty. And what would happen, the lowest of the lowest of slaves was responsible for tending the master's feet. In fact, there was an old saying by Jewish teachers, every service which a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do for his teacher except the loosening of his sandal thong. Right? So not even a disciple who would do so much for a, his master, his rabbi, he wouldn't even be the one to touch the sandal. They would, they would have a, a lowly servant, a lowly slave do that because it's such a disgusting job. But John, John says, look, I'm, I'm not even worthy. I'm not worthy to even do the job of the lowliest slave. Stop, stop looking at me. You need to be focusing in on Jesus Christ. What, what a great example of a preacher, right? My job as a, as a proclaimer, a preacher of the Word of God is, is not that you, you follow me, but that you, you, you look towards Jesus Christ. Any mature preacher, even, even the famous ones that people tend to, to follow, like John MacArthur or the late R.C. Sproul or, or others, they, they, you know, even those guys, they, they, they've repeatedly said, Look, don't, don't follow me, follow Christ. You see, John is incomparably less worthy than Jesus. Jesus is so much more than John. John says, I'm, I'm lower than the lowest slave. Don't look at me. Like, listen to what I have to say. Like, listen, I'm, I'm trying to, to point you towards the Messiah, towards the Christ. Listen, I'm a voice. That's all I am. I'm a voice. Christ is here and you don't know him. Now, brethren, Jesus Obviously, he lived and he died, and he will return, and he's given us his word to testify about him. We're to listen to his word. Who is Jesus? Right? What has he done? Why should we worship him? He died on the cross for our sins. He's exalted to the right hand of the Father. He will return in glory. He makes demands on our lives. If you love me, you obey my commandments, you obey my word. But he doesn't leave us to, to obey his word and strive for holiness on our own. He, he's given us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and empower us, to seal us as his own. John is saying, look, don't, don't look at me, right? I'm just a voice. Look towards Jesus. And he's pointing that to the, to the Sanhedrin, to the Pharisees. And that's, and that's day one. That's the first day of the public ministry of Jesus is, is John's testimony to Jesus. And we, and we know this because there was, a, there was an eyewitness to John, as we'll find out in a minute, and it's the apostle John. Look down at verse 29. We're going to deal with day two. Day two is a voice crying to the people. John not only is, has done talking with the, 
the, the group from the Sadducees, but now he's addressing all the crowd around him. In verse 29, the next day, day two, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He saw Jesus coming, and he knew he was the Messiah. And how did he know this? Well, he knew it because he had baptized Jesus already. The baptism, baptism excuse me, of Jesus had taken place previously to this. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21, Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in a bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. So John had already baptized Jesus at this point, And he sees Jesus walking by, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a great declaration. By the way, the word behold there is to, is to get your attention. If you're in the crowd, behold. Right? And it's not just a simple look over there, like behold, there's a fire. It's behold, there's something truth. There's some truth here, hidden truth. Behold, there's something that, that's not evident to human eyes. You need to pay attention. Behold. We see this later on in the book of John in chapter 19 when Pilate brings out Jesus and he says, Behold your king. You see, it's something that's not evident to human eyes. There's a, a hidden truth. And that hidden truth that John the Baptist is pointing out is that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now, when you think about the Lamb of God, Jesus is the, the Lamb. And we, we've gotten so used to this expression but Jesus is the, the Lamb of God, the, the one who would sacrifice himself, and it's an amalgamation of all the Old Testament prophecies, all, excuse me, all the Old Testament sacrifices. When you look at the Old Testament sacrifices, they point to the one final sacrifice that is Jesus Christ. You think about the Passover lamb. Jesus is, Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 that, that Jesus is our Passover lamb. If you think about the Day of Atonement, the scapegoat that was taken out, that they confessed the sins on the scapegoat, and he was taken out of the camp to die in the wilderness or die outside the camp. It's a picture of Christ. And you also think about the, the lamb that was, that was slain on the Day of Atonement as well, and the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat between the broken law of God and the glory of God. You think about Jesus' Jesus's sacrifice is a picture of all of those things. Even in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac asked, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, in, in a bit of prophecy, not even knowing, he said, God will provide the lamb. You see, God has provided the lamb. And you got to realize this would have been a, a shock to the Jews. They would have heard this and, and they would have been like, well, what is this? What's going on? Because they expected a, a Messiah king, not a, a lamb king, not a, a sacrificial king. You see, Christ came to deal with our sin. He's the one final sacrifice. All the Old Testament sacrifices pointed towards Him. They were shadows of the truth, of the reality of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. He became sin for us who knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He bore our sins in His body, 1 Peter 2, 24. You see, there never 
could be a, a reign of glory without the humiliation and sacrifice of the Lamb of God. John continues and he says, not only is he the Lamb of God, he, he takes away the sin of the world. To take away is to, to remove. Right? Christ takes away our sin by removing the guilt. Because without Christ, we are guilty. It doesn't matter if we feel guilty, we are guilty. Because we have broken God's law. We have sinned against Him. And we, because of our guilt, we are under His wrath. But God, the famous but God, but God took care of his wrath by pouring his wrath on his son, on the Lamb of God, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, because of Christ's humiliation, because of his sacrifice, God's wrath has been satisfied, and that we are no longer guilty before him. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, and, and we stand before God justified. We stand before God reconciled. Because that's Christ's ministry. John Calvin says the greatest, greatest purpose of Christ was to reconcile men to God. Jesus takes away the sin, takes away the guilt. He brings reconciliation. And when He takes away the sin, notice by the way that it's sin singular. It's not the sins of the world, it's the sin. In other words, Jesus takes away all types of sin. There's nothing that his, his blood does not cover. Every act of unrighteousness, every act of wickedness, every act of iniquity, every transgression, he takes away the sin singular, all types of sin. There's nothing that his blood cannot cleanse. Brethren, there, there's nothing. If you're listening today, and it doesn't matter what kind of sin you committed, Jesus' blood is sufficient to cover that sin if you believe in Him. If you feel guilt, it's because you are guilt. You are guilty, excuse me. And we know the Holy Spirit convicts in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. How easy it is for us to sit in churches and, and read Scripture and hear the truth proclaimed, but not actually have faith. We spoke about this in James chapter 2, that, that even the demons believe the facts about Jesus. But they do not have faith and will not submit. And John says, he takes away the sin of the world. He, he's not talking about atonement here. For those of you who have been waiting for me to get into atonement, he's not talking about atonement because he's talking about the, the power and authority of the Lamb, the exclusivity of Jesus' salvation. Because only the Lamb can take away the sin of men. Only the, the power of Christ can forgive sins. It is an exclusive claim. It's the Lamb of God who brings salvation to men. And by the way, when it comes to Jesus' title as the Lamb of God, it's a title that He keeps for eternity. As Steve has pointed out multiple times in his study and his preaching through Revelation, you see in Revelation 5, 6, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. In fact, even in the book of Revelation, the, the, the word lamb is used 29 times. 
Jesus' name is only used 17 times. It's a title that He keeps for all eternity. When Jesus comes, we will behold the Lamb of God, not as a humble servant, but in His full glory as Lord and King. John reiterates, and he says, look, listen, I'm a voice, I'm crying to you, listen, look, it's Jesus Christ. And he said, after me comes, this is the man who I'm said, after me, in verse 30, comes a man who is a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Notice in this particular verse, you have Jesus' two natures, right? He says, After me comes a man. Because remember, Jesus lived his life fully as a man. His glory and his deity revealed, right? He was indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He lived his life with the Holy Spirit in perfection, in obedience to the Father. But he was a man. He was born a man. He took on a human nature. He was fully man. 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul says, There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. John the Baptist is emphasizing his, his humanity. But then he says, He is a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. Now, John the Baptist knew that Jesus was born after him. We know that Jesus was born after John. But John's point is, is He existed He has an eternal existence. He's he's the eternal Word of God. He's the God incarnate. So in this verse, we have John the Baptist testifying to the the true nature of Jesus Christ. He's pointing people to, to who He really is if they're willing to hear and listen. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good man. He's the God man. He's the Lamb, the sacrifice. He existed before me. Verse 31 through 34, not only does he say, behold the Lamb, but he says, he's the Christ. In verse 31, he says, I didn't recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And And John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. Right When he says, I didn't know him, it means in the full sense. Now, John the Baptist probably knew of Jesus of Nazareth. After all, their their parents were related. But you have to remember, Jesus lived his life 30 years in obscurity as as a carpenter in the little town of Nazareth in Galilee. And John lived his life for the beginning of his life in Judea, and then he went to the Judean wilderness and lived. Not like they had telephones or internet to maintain contact. Right? So, even though John may have knew vaguely or remember stories about Jesus of Nazareth, he has seen no evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. There's no way to be sure. How could he be sure? How would he know who the Messiah was? Well, verse 33 is, I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water, God, he said, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining... Upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. In other words, when when you baptize this man and you see the Holy Spirit descending and remaining upon him, then that's the one. That's the Messiah. John was given direct revelation about who the Messiah was and is. You see, 
He even says that the purpose of his baptism, in verse 31, his, the purpose of his baptiz- baptism was so that the Messiah was to be made known to Israel. He was to prepare the way for the Messiah, and then the Messiah was to be revealed through John the Baptist's baptism. We have God's revelation, and the Spirit descended You see, you got to remember, Jesus lived his life as a man, and he was filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit throughout his life to to obey God's law. But one thing about the Spirit descending upon Jesus was this was the beginning of the Messianic age. In Ezekiel 36, that God says, I will put my Spirit within my people. And this marked the the beginning of the Messianic age. The Messianic age that, that we currently live in that will be fulfilled at the return of Jesus Christ. Spirit's indwelling of the Messiah was foretold in Isaiah chapter 11, and we receive that same indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when we think about this baptism, by the way, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, been, it's been so perverted by the Word of Faith movement, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There, there's no second power that you receive after a Christian. What the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. It's the Holy Spirit coming upon you and regenerating you, right? becoming a, a new person in Christ. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're, you become one in union with Jesus Christ and part of His body. It's permanent. Ephesians says that we are sealed. The Holy Spirit seals us, locks Himself in, so to speak. The great thing is we'll have the Holy Spirit indwelling us for all eternity. We have have the power of God without limit to help us to obey. So often, you know, I hear from people when they're exasperating, I just have so much trouble living the Christian life and obeying God. And they're trying to do it in their own efforts, in their own strength. Submit your will and yourselves to the Holy Spirit. Ask God for the, for the help. You have the resources available to you. You have His Word that helps you to live. You have the Holy Spirit that helps you to obey. Now, will we be perfect? No. But the goal of God, God's goal for us is that we would be holy and blameless before Him. And that's a process called sanctification. We don't need a a second baptism. We don't need any more power. We have all the power that we need in in the Holy Spirit who indwells us. He doesn't leave and come back and forth like the Old Testament. John says, look, listen to me. And he's speaking to all the crowd. He said, this is, this is the Messiah. All the sacrifices in the Old Testament point and pointed to Jesus Christ. That is the Lamb of God. John cannot offer salvation. He, he can't offer anything other than as a, as a great preacher, he's pointing to the Messiah. And you think about it, you have the most credible, trustworthy voice in all of Israel that is pointing towards Jesus. And that's why John the Apostle includes this testimony. Because remember, he wants you to believe. And he's laying out an important witness who's testifying. Look in verse 34. I myself have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. So you need to believe me, John is saying to this crowd. 
See, John testifies over and over and over. In fact, just real quick, flip back a page if you're like me. Look at verse 19. This is the testimony. Verse 20, he confessed, he confessed. Right? Verse 21, and he said, and he answered. And verse 23, he said. Right? Verse 26, and he answered, saying. Verse 29, he said. Verse 32, John testified. Verse John, and excuse me, uh, verse 34, I have testified. Right? You have the voice crying out, testifying to the reality that is Jesus Christ. But they didn't recognize him. They didn't accept him. And then you have the final, final day, day three that we're going to deal with today in the, the first week of Jesus' public ministry. Verse 35, and again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus and as he walked and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Right, who are these two disciples? Well, we know in verse 40 that, that one of them was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, because he goes and gets Peter. Right? Who's the other one? Well, the other one is John the Apostle. Right? He's the one who, who, who witnessed John the Baptist's interaction with these group of priests and Levites from the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. He's, he's witnessed this and he's recording it. He's the eyewitness. John was one of John the Baptist's disciples. And once again, you have the voice. But this time the voice is calling out, to just his disciples. And what he's saying, he's saying, follow, follow Jesus. And he said, look, behold, the Lamb of God. And he repeats the same thing, but, but he does it in a more intimate setting. And he sees Jesus and he says, look, behold, there he is. This is the guy I've been talking about. This is the culmination of, of my ministry. Look, this is the Messiah, the coming one. Behold, pay attention. I can just imagine John kind of casually after saying that, looking at his disciples, John and Andrew, and saying like, what are you still doing here? Why are you following me? This is the guy. Right? Just John the Baptist's purpose in his ministry was pointing to Christ. He didn't want disciples. He didn't want followers. He wanted people to follow Christ. Look at verse 37. What, what did they do? Right? John, the apostle, writes this. He says, the two disciples, what did they do? They heard his voice. He's been calling out. He's called out to Sanhedrin. He's called out to the crowd. He's, he's, he's a voice calling out to his disciples. And what did they do? They heard. They heard his message. Clearly, they understood his message. And what did they do? They followed Jesus. Right? You see, it wasn't about personal glory with John. He was a voice crying out. He spent his life, his energy, pointing toward Jesus Christ. He preached the gospel to the people in Luke 3.18. He, he sought no glory for himself, but he only wanted Christ to be glorified. And he pointed his disciples to the Lamb of God, and he said, follow, look, 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 there he is, go. And they heard him, and they understood his teaching, understood his preaching, and they, they followed Jesus. Look, we, we understand. We understand that Jesus came to offer himself as a ransom for many. He came and He lived and He died as the Lamb of God. We understand that Christ is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the divine Word. 
He's our Savior and our Lord. And as we commit to follow Him, we leave everything behind. We're like John and Andrew. We, we leave our past life behind and we, we follow Christ wholeheartedly. But we have John the Baptist's testimony. He's a voice. He's calling out for us to, to hear and to understand that, that Jesus has come and we should believe in His name. You see, John is given, John the, the apostle in his gospel has given us the first few days of Jesus' public ministry. And we'll, we'll get into the rest of it in the coming weeks. But he begins with a testimony of a faithful preacher, a voice. And John the Baptist. John's famous words when asked about in John chapter 3, all, he says, all the disciples come to him and say, all these other people are starting to follow Jesus. And he said, I'm like a, a bridegroom leading people to the groom. Like, excuse me, the bridegroom leading people to the bride. I, I must, must decrease and he must increase. Do you believe in Jesus? That's the question, first of all. Right? Do you understand that He's the Lamb of God? Do you understand John's message that you need to confess your sins? You're born a sinner and that your position, your rank, your blood, your descendants, the fact that you were born into a, a Christian, quote-unquote, family, doesn't save you. Each of us individually must come to grips with Jesus Christ. He's a sacrifice, the Lamb of God. Pray that you would believe in His name, that you wouldn't be one that sits in churches for all your life and you hear the, the good news of Jesus Christ, but yet not place your faith in Christ. Simple understanding of the facts isn't enough for salvation. It requires faith, a faith that works. If you believe, demonstrate it. Demonstrate it in your, in, in your labors of love, in your, in your hope in Christ. Demonstrate it in your obedience to Jesus Christ. For those of us that have been Christians a while, what a great truth. The Lamb of God that died on a cross for our sins. What a reminder, what a, what a humbling fact. Lord, I pray that we would not think too high of ourselves, but we would remember our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, a title, a lamb that he will have forever and ever, for all eternity. He's the lamb that takes away the sins, takes away our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony of John the Baptist. We thank you for his Lord, His faithfulness, His faithfulness to preach. Lord, we know He's a voice and we don't want to exalt Him, but we do thank You for His faithful testimony. Lord, I pray that those that are here, that we would believe His testimony, that we would believe in the name of Jesus Christ, that we would worship Him as Lord and God. He is God incarnate. He's our Lamb. Thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And we pray that as we, we go through the week, Father, that our faith would be demonstrated in how we live. That our love for Christ would overrule everything that comes that, that seeks to, to turn our devotion away from him. Help us not be allured by the things of this world. To realize that there's only 
one thing that's eternal, and that's Jesus Christ. This world will fade away, but he will remain forever and ever. We thank you, Lord, for your, your grace in our lives, for drawing us to yourself. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and dwells us and seals us and empowers us to live for you. Lord, we thank you again for this. And we pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.